Howdy, folks, and welcome to the Kentuckian Podcast. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Glad to be back here on the Kentuckian. For this episode, let's take a few minutes and think about our situation here in this country. We've talked about it before in more detail, some of the different issues that there are. We could talk a lot more about it. But to sum it up, we're in pretty rough shape. I would go so far as to say the country is crumbling around us. And I think many people can see that. There are many bad things going on. Not all bad, but part of the issue that we run into is due to the nature of the things that have been taking place, it's not as simple as we just need to elect someone else into office. And I think most of us recognize that. But let's think about where do we go from here? Things are bad in some ways, especially as we think about more drastic change or more significant change might be necessary, but what can we do about it? So for most of our time, I'm going to talk about one particular idea that I have. It's not a new idea. I think we need to consider the same thing that our forefathers did. We need to take back our governments, assemble a new continental Congress, change our state governments, and make the government once again reflective of the will of the people. The government has become something completely different from what it was intended to be. They want to and are actively working towards enslaving the people of this continent. We've seen it all around us. There's, they're, they're, We've talked about it in, in so many different ways, but they are working to, to make us completely subservient to them and unfortunately in many ways have already succeeded. And we'll talk about that more in detail, of course, in other episodes. But as we look... And as we think about all the awful things that the U.S. government has done to its own people recently and through the years, gradual disarmament, generating government dependence, extreme overregulation of the economy, insane theft-level taxes, corruption of the voter system, weaponization of virtually every part of the governmental system against the people, politicization of the law, failing to execute justice, often for political purposes, the extreme tyrannies like we've seen with covid and even what we might consider minor, just lying. I mean, think about it. We, we, can't even tr- we can't trust any politician, really, with literally maybe only a handful of exceptions. They lie to us on the regular. We expect it from them. We, we just know that's part of how everything is, right? Politicians don't tell the truth. When the president or anybody else gets up there and says something, we know there's a good chance that it's not true or being manipulated in order for, for whatever reason And yet we've been trained to just accept it. What kind of government lies to us all the time? And it's just how it is nowadays. It's just how it is. Well, that's just the way things are. That's unacceptable behavior in any group or organization, and especially in a government. And yet that's just one example of all the horrible things that are going on. We can't trust the very people that are supposed to to literally govern us because of the government. We know they lie. They're not trustworthy, and yet we trust them with insane amounts of power. Remember, the United States didn't exist at the time of the Revolution, the War for Independence. No one even knew if the colonies would form a union, a collection of the, of the colonies as a, as a single country, or would stay independent. Remember that under the Treaty of Paris, the crown recognized each colony as its own separate country, and they function as their own separate country for countries for a short time. The United States did not exist until the Articles of Confederation were ratified, and the Constitution 
that were under today, or at least claimed to be under today, was not ratified until the end of the 18th century. We have to we have to disconnect the idea of freedom and self-government from the United States, from the country that exists today, because it's never what it was meant to be about. We've talked about this some before. It's not about the country. It's about the principles. It's about the, the actual governance of the people and whatever else the case might be. For one, as we think about this, and as I as I attempt to defend this idea to some degree, because I realize that especially to us as, as Americans, loving our country, loving what it stood for in the past, we don't want to just throw everything away. And that's not really what I'm proposing, but it is perhaps a, a major change. And I want to at least talk for a few minutes about why it may be the change that needs to happen. For one, our country has become too big. Now, hear me out on this. At the time of the revolution, the population of all 13 colonies was what? It's estimated two and a half to three million people in all 13 colonies. The population of the Commonwealth of Kentucky today, a state which is by no means the smallest state in terms of population or land area, but pales in comparison with many other states in the Union, comes in with a population of approximately four and a half million people. One state, not even close to the biggest state, has a population that is one and a half, at least one and a half million time, one and a half million people larger than all 13 colonies in 1775. Let me repeat that. Kentucky has a population today that is at least one and a half million people larger than all 13 colonies in 1775. Now, as we think about that, obviously we can see that. I mean, the, the overall population of the country is approximately 340 million. Just grabbing that number off the top of my head, that's, I think, the most recent estimation that I've heard. Literally, actually, I did see one thing as I was doing some research for this. It's uh, The population today is about 130 times the size that it was at the time of the revolution. 130 times. The country has grown in land mass and population by, I mean, many times what it originally was. But, and, and as we think about this, especially the point I'm trying to make, that that the actual number, the actual number of people is not necessarily the main issue. Now, there are some arguments being made that can, that can affect it as well. But the main issue that I think we need to consider when it comes to the size of the country is that the country is so, uh, let's use the word, diverse in culture. You have certain areas of the country with similar cultures, right? When I talk about the South or the Northeast or the West Coast, or whatever, right? We have these different areas that do have their own cultures, although, uh, especially when you think about the South, or uh, because I'm more familiar with that, um, each state has its own culture, but they do share many um, connecting cultural factors throughout the entire South, from Kentucky to the tip of Florida, right? However, the cultures in these other areas... Um, and their member states, the differences in these cultures are are tremendous. Think about somebody from, compare somebody from Los Angeles, California, to somebody from Bullitt County, Kentucky. On the whole, or at, at, if you were to take the average person from these states, whatever, from these areas, what, however you want to term it, 
these people's thoughts, their opinions, their values, the history that they have, their entire worldview are fundamentally different from one another. That's not always a bad thing, um, although we see that many times in this country today, it, it tends to be bad and goes to the extreme. But again, diversity of cultures or, or differences in viewing things are not necessarily bad. But even saying for sake of argument that any particular cultural difference between one part of this country and the other was harmless in and of itself, the issue is still that we would have two completely different ways of viewing the world. And that makes self-government and government by the people extremely impractical, if not out-and-out out impossible. I mean, if we want to bring it down a little bit more to politics instead of culture, just look at how popular communism or socialism is as, a, as an actual viable source of government and governance for people in the, in, I was about to say the left coast, uh, which is a good nickname for it, in the west coast in Los Angeles as opposed to Kentucky. We don't. We have a completely different way of viewing the world, of viewing work, of viewing the value of work, how people should be re rewarded for their labors, God, religion, everything. And those significant differences, again, even if they were, which in many cases they aren't, but even if they were harmless, basically make governance, representative government, impractical. This shouldn't discourage us, though. This shouldn't get us down. Because the whole point of self-government and this country, or one of the main points of this country, is that the people being governed can choose what works best for them. Just because we may view things differently from somebody from California doesn't mean that we should that they're necessarily wrong, but they may need a different option. They may vote for someone different that we wouldn't vote for because that's what works best for them. That's the point of self-government. They may not need to be in a union like the United States because that may not work best for them. It may not be the best form of governance for their for the purposes of their government, for you know, providing the blessings of liberty to them and their posterity and what have you. That's not bad. We need to be open to the idea of actual self-governance, not staying true to a country that was formed with the whole idea that we should be able to choose what works best for us, not be forced into a into a mold into that that doesn't work for the people. And again, whether that people is a small part of that country or the, the country as a whole. I mean, the whole idea of balance of power is to, or one of the main ideas of balance to pow of power with things like the Senate and the House of Representatives and the judiciary having a bicameral, bicameral, excuse me, House um, in the federal government and everything else was to balance power so that each state had representation because each state deserved to be represented in a union. It shouldn't be that hard for us, but we've been trained to think of this country as this homogenous whole when we know good and well in practice it is nowhere near homogenous, and that's not bad. But at the same time, we may need to adjust the way that we are governed in order to account for that, dif that difference of culture, that difference of thought, that difference of values. Now, there's another point that the writer Thomas Paine made in his supremely influential work, Common Sense, which, if you don't remember, uh, went a long way towards convincing many colonists that a total severance had to come between the colonies and Great Britain at the time of the revolution and or uh, to take up arms that a peaceful resolution was no longer an option due to the extreme actions of the British government. Many of which, though, many of those same actions having been taken against the people of the United States by our state governments and or our federal government. 
So there's a quote that I'm going to read. It's a bit of a longer quote, but I think it'll help illustrate this point, and I would recommend you read Common Sense when you get the chance. You can find it free online, I believe, PDFs of it or what have you. You should be able to find a copy without too much trouble as well. But let's read this quote from Thomas Paine, and uh, I may stop at points to explain part of what he says because he does write in a slightly different style of English, and some things may not be clear. But this is what he said. Men of passive tempers look somewhat lightly over the offenses of Great Britain and, still hoping for the best, are apt to call out, Come, come, we shall be friends again for all this. People wanting reconciliation with Great Britain. Um, but examine the passions and feelings of mankind. Bring the doctrine of reconciliation to the touchstone of nature, and then tell me where, whether you can hereafter love honor, and faithfully serve the power that hath carried fire and sword into your land. Just by the way, the port of, of Boston had already been shut down. There had already been fighting going on in Boston, and in many ways the war had already touched off, as, as even though many people didn't necessarily want to admit that. So he asked this question. Let me read it again. Tell me whether you can hereafter love, honor, and faithfully serve the power that hath carried fire and sword into your land. Your future connection with Britain, whom you can neither love nor honor, will be forced and unnatural, and being formed only on the plan of present convenience, reconciliation with Britain, not because they actually love Great Britain, but because it was convenient at the time, uh, ignoring the issues of Britain literally carrying fire and sword into their land, literally destroying homes, burning businesses, whatever the case might be, will in a little time fall into a relapse more wretched than the first. He's saying that if you were to reconcile with Great Britain after all that Great Britain's done, that that connection will be forced, it'll be unnatural, and because of it, its foundation is bad, will in a little time fall into relapse. The, the abuses of Great Britain will once again come to the surface. The union, the reconciliation will fail, and it'll be worse that time than it was at right now, than it was at the time. Let's just ask ourselves some, some, some frank questions. Can we today honestly ever trust the federal government after this last election? Can we? Not even talking about the results in detail, but the whole idea that there could be no voter fraud and therefore any investigation into any voter fraud whatsoever was basically hushed up by the federal government. Despite mountains of evidence to the contrary, not again, not not necessarily, although we can talk about that more in detail some other time if we would like, but not even talking about a particular candidate. Just the, the evidence of massive organized voter fraud that was all over the place and was ignored. If there was no issue, then why not investigate it to establish confidence in the elections? And if there was any issue, why not investigate it? Because that literally undermines everything about representative government because the people don't have a voice anymore. Can we really trust the government after that? Can we trust a government that is forced at the tip of the bayonet, if you will, by force, to force people to stay home, to throw away our jobs, our businesses, our livelihoods, our religion, for whatever reason. Again, we can talk about some of the COVID stuff more in detail, but can we trust a government that forces us to, to, to throw away our livelihoods, our ability to take care of our families and to worship God? Can we trust a government that's thrown us to the wolves while blatantly violating the laws the executors of this tyranny are sworn to uphold? 
Can we trust somebody that just ignores the law? Again, for whatever reason, I don't care if it is for safety. If they ignore the law, it's wrong, and they cannot be trusted. A connection to that kind of government, an affection for that government, a reconciliation with that government is unnatural and doomed to failure. And if we'll say if we'll say that true reconciliation is possible, if we still say, well, we can figure it out, it'll be okay, we'll reconcile, we can fix this, I'll ask the same question that Thomas Paine did. I'll rephrase it, but I'll ask the same questions. Did you lose your home? Was your vote stolen through fraud? Was your business and property stolen? Was the food taken from your children's mouths? Just because you might have avoided the brunt of the evils perpetrated by our government for now, that does not delegitimize the point. Just because you may have gotten away, you may not have been, you may not have suffered too much because of the government, doesn't mean that people haven't. Our countrymen have. And I dare say that if we took a clearer look at ourselves, a closer look at ourselves, we may find that our lives were not so untainted by the stain of government evil. We need to be serious about this, folks. We need to look honestly at ourselves, at what we're prioritizing. We need to take some time, really think about where we are as a country. Think about how 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 deeply the corruption has rooted itself in our in our in our system. Every facet of the government is, is corrupt. It's only interested in itself. It's become its own beast. Not a government by the people and for the people and of the people. A government apart from the people that exists only to protect itself at the expense of the people and to use the people to prop itself up. That's the government we have today. The very fact that we think of Washington, that we think of Frankfurt or whatever other capital, whatever other business, uh, excuse me, governmental organization, whatever, whatever bureaucratic nonsense that we have to deal with today, that we think of that as a whole separate entity apart from your average American life indicates just how bad we are, just how bad, we, just what kind of shape we're in right now. It literally only exists for itself. Thomas Paine made this point as well at one point in Common Sense, which again, I would recommend you read. But he made another point that is very applicable in that he was asking, you know, people would argue, well, the, the Great Britain protected us at this time. And, and he said, yes, you know, to a certain degree, they did protect us, although we protected ourselves as well. But it was never because of affection. It wasn't because Great Britain cared about the colonies. It was because there was a threat to their trade. There was a threat to their money. There was a threat to their power and their influence that they attained through the colonies. That's where we're at. That's the kind of government that we're under. They do not care about us, and we know that they don't care about us. <laughs> Look at what happened with COVID. As soon as something got connected, uh, despite all these crazy, illogical, unscientific crazy ideas that they they put forth either as recommendations or requirements depending on your situation and what state you live in despite all this as soon as something comes along to actually bring forth the corruption that was evident throughout the whole nonsense the whole debacle this last year and a half at this point or almost year and a half as soon as something comes out to really expose that corruption to connect somebody with perhaps some foreign money or whatever they roll back everything. 
or basically everything. They showed that they were lying. They showed that they were manipulating us. In fact, in some cases, they flat out admitted it. And yet we just go on like nothing, nothing's, well, I mean, it is no, it's no news, I guess, in one sense. But at the same time, the very fact that that is the situation requires action on the part of the people. Not just for the election, but in many other cases. Basically, every, if not every other check and balance on the power of the government has failed. It's, it's, it's fallen before the, the flood of, of filth that is tyranny, and that is our government as it is today. It isn't our government. It's the American government that tells us what to do. And, and when are we actually going to, to really admit that to ourselves? Again, I'm not saying that this is the only potential option. I think this is perhaps a very legitimate course of action that can be taken, and I've taken a few minutes to sort of defend that idea or 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 examine that, that idea a little more in depth. But we need to be frank and realize that something has to change. Men cannot long live under this kind of government. You look at any government that's gone this route before, very quickly it collapses. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit there and suffer under it and let our children suffer under it, maybe our grandchildren, and then have to suffer under the whatever system comes in to take its place, perhaps just as bad or worse than the system we refuse to do anything about now? We refuse to really see the reality of today. Are we going to do that? Or are we going to do something now and try and reverse the course, change the course, hit the reset button? Whatever it takes, are we actually going to do something about it and be frank with ourselves that things are not in good shape and we have the responsibility to do something about it? So what do we do? What do we do? This is not meant to depress you. This is meant to, to give you hope in the sense that there is something we can do. There are options. This is nothing new. This is the same kind of thing that our, that our forefathers dealt with in the, in the War for Independence. We just have to realize that that may be our calling for this generation, that we may have to embrace that and do something about it, something that is uncomfortable, something that requires sacrifice, but is worth it both for ourselves and for our posterity. What can we do? To start off, and the main thing I'm going to talk about for just a second, is communicate. One of the most important functions of the Continental Congress at the time and some of the related organizations, kind of the whole movement with the Continental Congress, was to stay in contact and keep everyone up to date with accurate, timely information. That way they could make the best course, they could make the best decision, they could choose the best course of action. Talk to people. Communicate with like-minded people. Try and convince people that don't necessarily agree with you. And keep your own priorities straight. And if you want to know what I mean by that, make sure God's first in your life. Because a, a people that is not confident in its eternal destination is a people that cannot make sacrifice, that cannot make change, because they aren't confident about what's going to happen if they were to have to give their lives. They're, and that's not to mention they're just not grounded in what really is important in this life, what's true, the reality of human nature, and whatever, else, whatever other subjects are related to that. And there are many. In this case, you could 
I mean, just particularly for what I've been talking about today, you can spread this podcast. Or you can talk to your friends. I'd say many of us that think, at least along these lines, have friends that think similarly. We can find people that think similarly. If we're willing to look, it's not that hard. We can talk to them. That helps us. That helps them. And hopefully that'll help us help other people too. Study for yourself. Maybe you don't agree with me. Or maybe you're like, well, that seems a little radical to me. Then study. Go read Common Sense. Go read some of the many writings from the time. Go read the Federalist Papers. Go read the law. That's by Bastiat. I'm probably not saying that name correctly. Go read Locke. One of the one of the extremely influential writers and philosophers of the time when it came to political theory. Study for yourself and see what you think the best option is. Or maybe a, the best implementation of this option. There's so much you can do. But we must rise to the occasion. That's what I want you to do, friends. Really look at yourself honestly. Look at what's going on around you honestly and determine to take action. Remember, as we've talked about before, if you decide not to take action, that is not a neutral act. It's a negative. You can bury your head in the sand, but it is not a harmless action. It is guarantee of destruction. We must rise to the occasion. We must decide to do what's right. There is no escape if we don't. But there's victory if we do. Victory in one way or another. We can never lose sight of that. We can never lose faith. We could spend much more time talking about this issue. We could talk more about common sense, the the writing, or common sense in general. Seems to be lacking these days. We could talk about potential solutions in more detail and so on. But we're going to stop this episode here. I've begun a more in-depth work on this topic, some writing that I've been doing. Um, hopefully I'll be able to make some more progress on that soon. Maybe you'll be hearing about that before too long. But please spread the word, folks. We can make a difference. We can affect change. You have to believe that. I believe it. I hope you do as well. Tell your friends. Share it on social media. Listen to other episodes. There's so much more you can do. We're only really limited by our own imaginations. If you'd like to support me in a more personal way in what I'm trying to do, I can spend more time on this. I can do more for it, whatever the case might be. If you'd like to support me in that way, my Patreon will be linked in the description below. And as we close, remember, folks, that as long as you and I are doing the right thing, we will make a real difference in this world. The Kentuckian, trying to make a difference one person at a time.